Hello, everybody, and welcome to Our Home Libraries. We're super excited. I'm Kayla. I'm Carrie. We're filming our first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So apologies for awkwardness, but that's okay. We want to talk about books. And the book that we read for this podcast is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Of course, we will be spoiling this for you. So if you're the kind of person who does not like that, then don't listen to this. Go read it first and then come back. We should also mention that there are a couple of trigger warnings for this book. Um, So Kayla's going to tell you a little bit about that. Yep, so some of the content warnings that we wanted to mention is that this book does deal with death and suicide, so that's something just to be aware of, as well as it does touch upon alcoholism, um, other forms of addiction, as well as opioid use. And like we said, we're going to spoil this because we're going to be doing a book discussion, answering some questions, and just working through what we thought of this one. Yes, I found some questions online, and hopefully as we continue with this podcast, we'll be able to formulate our own discussion questions or our own like key points to talk about. Um, but given that this is the first one, I just kind of Googled it, and I got these questions from bookclubchat.com. I will put a link in the description that will take you to exactly the post so you can see exactly who wrote them. Uh, I want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due because I did not come up with these questions. Um, If you don't know anything about this book, The Midnight Library is about a library that exists between life and death, and in that library there are shelves that apparently go on forever, a very long way, and they're filled with books, and each book presents the opportunity to live another life, right, to see how things might have been if you had made different choices. And then ultimately, kind of asking the question, if you could have done anything different, would you want to undo some of your regrets? Not a direct quote, but that's kind of like how the book starts, is by telling you all of this information. I personally don't think that this is really what the book is about. I just think that is the platform upon which the book is presented. Uh, We'll go ahead and get started with the questions. Did you have anything else you wanted to say to start with, Kayla? Uh, No, not yet. Okay, so at the beginning of this novel, Nora is having a pretty terrible time of it. Uh, Nothing is really going right, and sequentially things just keep going wrong, and it just seems like she has a lot of regrets in her life. So why do you think that Nora feels this way, and why do you think that she felt she had no other option but suicide? Yeah, so as the book started, we kind of saw multiple things not going Nora's way. So she had lost her job. Um, What were some of the other? Her cat died. Her cat died. Yes, Um, yes. The big point that I wanted to point out was that her neighbor, who she used to always help get his medicine for, said that he no longer needed her help. So it was just a bunch of little things building up, and I think that ultimately we're introduced to Nora feeling as though no one needs her, and that she feels almost hopeless in a way. Yeah, I think that everyone can feel like nothing is going right sometimes, Um, and I imagine that by taking her own life, Nora kind of felt like all of her sadness and all of her loneliness would just kind of go away. 
I think it was really hard for her to see any other way for her life because she was so bogged down by all these bad things happening one after the other. Another one being, you know, all the ones Kayla mentioned, but also her brother had been in town. This is her only sibling. And she found out that he was in town and had not contacted her and didn't seem to care to see her. So kind of, you know, all of this happening within the course of a single day really overwhelmed her. And then, you know, additionally, we assume that she kind of has some underlying mental illness, probably like chronic depression, right? So of course that can be a really hard thing to get out of as well without the proper help. And she didn't have help. Absolutely. And I think um, in one of the beginning chapters, she has said at one point, every move has been a mistake, every decision a disaster, every day a retreat from who she would imagine she'd be. And I think that it was just the weight of everything, um, the fact that she was depressed. I mean, it wasn't diagnosed in this, but I think we can ascertain that that's where she's at right now, that she just feels like there's no other way out. It was just everything was weighing on her. And like you said, she didn't have the resources or maybe the support that she needed to to get the help that she desperately needed. Yes, and while we're on the subject, if you are a person who is struggling right now, we're going to put some resources in the description for you um, to help you get help if you feel that you need it. Um, and even if you don't feel that you need help, therapy is a great tool, even if you are perfectly healthy mentally. So just a good way to check in and keep everything running how you want it to. Yes, I love therapy. Um, I love Me talking too. to someone. Especially it's like a third person who has no bias. When you go talk to your mom, she's biased. <laughs> so we kind of have this uh, librarian. This librarian, her name is uh, Miss Elm, or at least she's not really Miss Elm, is she? They kind of go through the book and they're like, are you... God? Are you a figment of my imagination? Right? But she is presented as Miss Elm, who is a librarian that Nora really did have experience with in her rude life, which is what they call it in the book. So Miss Elm kind of tells Nora how everything works, and she essentially says, if you have the chance to undo some of your regrets, what would you want to do differently? So, Kayla, have you ever thought about if you had made a different choice what your life could be like today. Yeah, so I cheated and I didn't really answer this one because I am not a big fan of regret. I mean, I think that we all maybe have small moments where like, ooh, wish I'd done that differently. Um, but I was even thinking about it like some of the big things like for a little while there, I wasn't super thrilled with my job. I wasn't getting the satisfaction that I wanted from it, just some stressors in it. But as I was thinking about that, I realized that because of my job, it led to where I currently live, which led to me meeting you, Carrie. So it's it's hard to be upset or regret something when it brings you to a different situation or a different place that you wouldn't have been, helps you meet people who become, you know, impactful and important in your life. So... I just, I'm not a big fan of regret. Yeah, and when you, you generally feel happy with the way that your life is right now, it's kind of difficult to go back and say, you know, I wish I'd done this differently. Because as we see in the book, doing one little thing differently can really drastically change the outcome of your life. I sometimes think about it, like maybe I could have gone to medical school. Or, you know, maybe I could go get a PhD. Or, you know, all these things that I could have done differently. But like you... Every, every time I think about these moments, I realize that my life would be completely different. And I'm really lucky to be in a happy place in my life right now, 
which is extremely opposite Nora in this book. She's in a pretty terrible place in her life. And I don't think I would want my life to be any different than it is. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good point that you made that Laura, Nora's not really in a great place in her life right now. But I think that that is a testament to the fact that she is battling mental illness. So it prohibits her from seeing any of the positive, you know, it's, and it's easy for us to say that right now because we're both in, you know, healthy mental states and we're, we're doing well, but that's not always the case for everyone. And it, it is really hard to see those positives. So I, I totally understand in this book that presenting all these regrets that she's had, um, can feel even more like she can feel the weight of them even more because her mental health isn't where you know I think she would want it to be right and also to mention it's not a huge theme in this book but a couple of times uh social media is mentioned because we do know that social media is fake Kayla likes to say that it is the um highlight reel of someone's life (laughs) And, and I think that contributes a lot to her at least her feeling of loneliness for sure And I think, you know, on one hand, social media is a great way to connect with people, but I think that coming in with the understanding that I think you've said it before that it is a bit of a facade, right? Everyone's putting their best foot forward. So while we can connect people all over the world, which is amazing, um, we need to remember that it's not 100% reality, right? (laughs) Right. Nobody's posting pictures of themselves first thing in the morning when they have, well... I mean, celebrities post no makeup, I'm putting this in quotes, pictures, but... uh, There's makeup (laughs) and filters. (laughs) Yes, well, makeup or work done or filter, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. Uh, The next question, do you think you'd be able to handle being in a place like the Midlight Library? And would you want to explore all the different possibilities that your life could have had? We had touched upon this um, when we were talking earlier, but the the fact that the Midnight Library is so expansive to me feels daunting, right? So every single choice, big or small, is a is another book or or life that Nora could have lived. And so if I was in the Midnight Library, I think that I would be overwhelmed, like significantly. I don't almost like paralyzed with the thought of having to look at that many alternate lives like and and so many choices yeah and I definitely don't think that I would be like the character we met Hugo where he just kept exploring every single possibility he was redoing life after life after life he seemed to really embrace it yes that definitely wouldn't be me I don't know how you feel about about that um but I think maybe I'd pick a couple lives potentially I don't I don't know I think it would depend on exactly how I ended up there. I mean, if it was like, like Nora, like, obviously, she was very unhappy with the way that her life was. So I understand her desire to explore alternate realities, really, in that situation. But if I were to be in like my version of the Midlight Library, because I were, you know, in a coma or something, something that was accidental, something that I didn't do to myself, right? I'd like to think that I'd be happy enough with my life that even if I were to explore all these other lives, I wouldn't really deviate much from my root life. Yeah, and um, I think it comes down to that you and I just have a general curiosity for things, so just be more just to see it, but then be happy with where we're at. 
I mean, I guess that if you were to do it that way, then you would never really be completely happy with any of the alternate lives. So you would always end up back in the library, right? Because that's one of the, the premises, you know, if Nora were to find a life that she felt deeply satisfied with, that she would stay in that life and that would be her new life. If we were to be there and not find that life, we would just keep coming back. We'd kind of be like Hugo and just be exploring for the fun of it. So Nora does go to different realities or explore different lives. We saw her marrying her ex-boyfriend to studying glaciers. Were there any alternate lives that you found the most interesting? Interest is one thing, but maybe I'm a romantic. I just really love the life where she married Ash and had a kid with Ash. Not only because that was like the relationship for her. Okay, she needed to be with Ash, first of all. Um, But I also felt like this is when she really started to recognize what kind of impact she has on other people. And, And not just like her brother or her father or, you know, all of the big changes that she made in some of her earlier lives. But, you know, with Ash, she started to see that because she was giving piano lessons to Leo, he wasn't getting into trouble with police, right? Because she was helping Mr. Banerjee with his prescriptions, he wasn't in a nursing home. It was really just, you know, things that she might have considered to be small. And I mean, ultimately, she felt like she wasn't needed for these things. And that's part of why she chose to commit suicide. But these really small things had huge impacts on the lives of the people around her. And I think she really recognized that in the Ash life. Yeah, I I enjoyed that life, right? It was arguably the best one. It was happy and peaceful and... I agree, I agree, I did enjoy it, but the one that I found the most interesting is actually the lifestyle where she became the musician, the rock star, and had, you know, global success. The reason being is that in that life, you know, we have this sad outcome where she realizes that her brother had passed away. And that one, to me, I think maybe it struck a chord with me because I really thought that Matt Haig did a nice job of showing how important sibling relationships can be. I am so, so close with my sister. And in this one, Nora was able to feel the weight of actually not having her brother there with her. In her root life, you know, she doesn't have a great relationship with him and feels like he's not there. But he is. You know, she could reach out to him. Yeah, he's still alive. Right. She could try to rectify that relationship. And in this life, we realize that that has now been taken away from her. Um, So I just, I thought that this was a, obviously each of her lives, there's pivotal moments. But this one to me just, it really stood out. And I just, I don't know, I found it to be the most interesting. Yes. Speaking of bad things happening, right? Every time Nora visits one of these different realities for herself, something really good is happening, right? She's an Olympic swimmer or she's a rock star or, you know, whatever the case may be. But there's always something, on the other hand, that's really bad or really sad. Whether that's her brother dying in the rock star timeline or uh, her mother passing away when she decided to continue swimming. What do you think the author was trying to say with how each of these different choices have such huge consequences? Yeah, I mean, there was a quote that stuck out to me. Miss Elm was the one that presented it, but she said, even these bad experiences are serving a purpose, don't you see? And I think it's just kind of to prove the point, right? Like, life is never all rainbows, but it's also never just rain. We have a mixture of everything. And it's a little cliche, right? But sometimes you need 
the rain to be able to then enjoy the rainbow, right? If it's only good all the time, sometimes it, you then don't realize to en- enjoy it almost. Right. So maybe like with her, the death of her brother and her realizing how much of an impact that had on her, she could then, you know, when she ultimately ends up back in her root life, really appreciate and and reevaluate the relationship that she has with her brother there. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, right, is that Nora thinks her life, you know, is hopeless and that she's disappointed people and she doesn't have a lot of fulfillment with it. Um, and in one of them, she gets back together with her ex. She gets back together with Dan, who Carrie and I both have agreed we hate Dan. Yeah, hate Dan. He sucks. But it's kind of to the point where she did end that relationship with him, right, in her in her root life. And it, that was a good thing. Because in the alternate life, she does experience, you know, what it would be like to be with him. And she realizes that that wouldn't have been a good path. So I think that got glazed over a little bit to me, but that she did make, there were good choices or, you know, maybe it didn't feel good at the time to have a breakup, but that Dan wasn't the right fit for her. Yeah, definitely. He's not the right fit for any person in my opinion, but. At all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, they always say that men will change for the right person. So maybe there is a person out there for Dan, but in general, Dan sucks. It's, He's for nobody. Uh, Carrie and I had spoke earlier and she said, what is your least favorite reality? And I picked something else because I totally tried to block the Dan one from my memory. I couldn't stand it. Could not yes, stand Dan. that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, this is our second time recording this, but of course it's always good to have technical issues on the first episode, so. Technical issues um, because of yours better, truly. Better now than like a year from now when we have 50 episodes, you know what I mean? Carrie's being a very good sport to me. <laughs> okay, but this is off topic, but Kayla and I are both Aquariuses. I don't know if you guys care about astrology at all, but she's a January Aquarius and I'm a February Aquarius. And I'm very much like the laid back, chill, like roll with the punches kind of Aquarius. And I think Kayla is the one that gets a little bit more worked up. Um, You're being generous again a little worked up is I think an understatement I'm pretty tightly wound I'm just proud of myself for not crying when my file disappeared because of user error obviously well we're not sure exactly what happened but anyway surprising our friends because we're both Aquarius as I know yeah and so um sorry we said I don't have any regrets I regret that the podcast you regret messing up the first recording (laughs) (laughs) however it was we don't know how anyways back to the topic at hand the midnight library uh miss elm is obviously a pretty important character right because she is the embodiment of of whatever guidance system is in the library why do you think that her relationship with the real life miss elm was such a significant one for her i just thought that the relationship with miss elm right they they would play chess together. They they would, you know, speak and just spend quality time together. And I think that Miss Elm provided a sense of, like, support and unconditional caring that Nora wasn't necessarily getting from the rest of her life, specifically the relationship with her father. That was pretty um, mm-hmm. unkind, I think, would be the way I would say it. I think that, you know, her dad was really pushing her to uh, go the swimming route and, and pursue Olympics because, I mean, she was apparently, Nora was a very good swimmer. Um, 
while Miss Elm was kind of pushing her more toward her interests, right? Like glaciology, right? She did this whole life where she got to be a glaciologist and that's what Miss Elm kind of pushed her toward because that was her interests. But I also think that this, the time that she spent with Miss Elm was kind of like an escape from her life. And I think that you can quote me on this. This is exactly what I said in our first recording. It makes sense that in attempting to make the ultimate escape from life, right? Suicide, she would go back to that place with that person. And I, that's, that's really how I see Miss Elm. And that's really how I see a library for her because that's where she would go when she was troubled, you know? And obviously this is the second time I'm hearing you make that uh, revelation to me, but... And you're still I over here still, like, wow, yes, that's a great quote. so insightful, Carrie. <laughs> I think that that, again, just very insightful and I think is, you know, one of the deeper meanings that we did get to see from this book. Yes, yeah, I think that the representation of the library for her um, does have to do with the escape that she felt with Miss Elm in her root life. Which then, I mean, we can even touch on to, if we kind of bring this back to our lives, the idea of escapism, we use books to escape. So the fact that we're in a midnight library where it's books, it's just another idea to play on that idea of escapism. Yeah, that readers are reading a book about reading. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what an inception. So one of the big themes in this novel, especially in some of her earlier lives, was trying to make up for other people's regrets or what other people might believe is a shortcoming. And, and, you know, some of these different realities she picked were based on trying to have a better outcome for her loved ones, right? Whether that be swimming with her dad or the rock star life with her brother, right? What do you think the significance is of Nora realizing that she was choosing lives for other people? And and how did that help her move forward in her own life? At first, it's kind of presented that maybe other people blame Nora or or that was kind of how it was presented. But I think the reality of it is, is that Nora blames herself. It's her depression talking in a way where she thinks that, you know, she's let everyone down. She's made these choices Um, And that everyone is upset with her. When I think in reality, you know, if if she was in a healthier mindset, she would have been able to communicate and talk with the people in her lives and been able to work through things. Like, yes, her brother was upset that she didn't want to continue with the um, music career, but it wasn't all her choice. Yes, she was leaving the band, but we see that Nora has an infinite number of realities. So does her brother, right? So does every person she's interacted with. So her brother could have made a different choice. He could have kept kept going with the career. So I don't know. I think her going through those alternate lives helped her realize, you know, that people didn't necessarily blame her. Yeah. I mean, not only do we get the cliche, like, uh, you can't live your life making other people happy. Um, but I think that ultimately, like, for Nora... And for any person, if you constantly live your life for other people and you don't put yourself first, then you're always going to be failing yourself. She had to put her happiness and her life ahead of everyone else or she was always going to be a failure to her brother. She was always going to feel like a failure. Um, Not necessarily that her brother sees her in that light. If they communicated, then I'm sure she would know that he does not see her as a failure. He's just trying to, to get over the fact that his, his, his dream did not become a reality. But that's like everyone else in this world. 
yes, everyone's working through their own things. Yes. Everybody has dreams. You know, everybody has to get over the fact that every single dream that you have is not going to come true. And I think that's what her brother's going through. It's not that he doesn't want to see her, doesn't care about her. It's just that he's still trying to get over it a little bit. Moving on, my favorite lifetime, the one where, or storyline, or alternate reality, whatever we want to call it, the one where she marries Ash and they have a daughter. Why do you think she didn't stay there? I mean, there's this, like we mentioned, you know, if she'd found peace in a life, she would have stayed. So if this was a good life for her, why didn't she stay? And we, we have touched upon it, right? This is arguably the best reality that she was in. Yes. And I was sad when she left it, right? We get these glimpses throughout it that she, you know, she's not feeling like she quite deserves it, maybe. Yes. And I think she was sad. Because I think even, like, right up to the point where she realized that she was going to leave that life, she just felt, like, very sad about it. Right, right, because she had so much joy and peace in that life. But I I think it kind of wraps everything up in that it's all about our choices. So this, you know, wasn't her root life, but that the lessons that she learned from this life, there's no reason that in her root life she can't make choices to try to make her current life better we talked about how her daughter brought her so much joy and happiness and fulfillment so there's no reason why she couldn't make choices that will lead her to having a family in her root life yeah um as you were talking I was trying to find a quote because I annotated as I was reading kind of picked out like some some key things and I was trying to find that moment where she left that life yeah, and she, she knew that it was coming. You could, like, feel it like it was, like, starting to pull her away. I found where she she realizes that she's going to be leaving. And she starts to, like, say to herself that they'll be okay, talking about Ash and um, her child, which they named Molly. They'll be okay. They're looked after. Because, obviously, when Nora leaves, like, technically Nora's still there, right? The Nora that actually lived in that life. Right. And then Ash said something about going to the movies and how they had a babysitter and everything. And of course, Nora forgot, but she said that she just smiled and tried really hard to hold on and stay there. But she knew from within every hidden chamber of her being that there was absolutely nothing she could do it to stop it. It still makes me sad. And when she gets to the library, she's like, no. I know, that does make me sad. But then, of course, the library is falling apart. Everything's on fire. There was another quote I wanted to share that I had highlighted. I have like literally two pink tabs in here. The pink tabs are for like the lovey-dovey quotes. So it says, when she thought of her root life, the fundamental problem with it, the thing that had left her vulnerable really was the absence of love. She felt the power of it, the terrifying power of caring deeply and being cared for deeply. So I feel like that's really what she got out of that life with Ash was this kind of um, deep love and deep appreciation for someone else, um, her child and for Ash. And we didn't really talk about that when we recorded first, but I thought I would share because one of my one of my uh, my favorite timeline, I just feel like she was so profoundly affected by her time with Ash and Molly. With Ash and Molly, but then the juxtaposition of seeing other important people from her root life 
have a negative outcome because her presence wasn't there. Yeah. So like Miss, Mrs. Elm already have passed away without Nora having been able to express to her what she meant to her. Mr. Uh, Banerjee in the nursing home that he fought so hard to be in. Um, you just, you felt, and Nora obviously felt it. I think that that's why she got pulled from it is that in her root life, she does need to be there for other people, right? We can't live for other people, but us being there can help them. Yeah, yeah, definitely helped Mr. Banerjee, right? He was able to stay in his home for who knows how many years because of her, because she was helping him. And uh, Leo uh, was obviously not getting into trouble because she was giving him music lessons. Like, he had an outlet for everything, you know? Right. And without her, he didn't have that. And And, you know... Because of her life with Ash, she had moved away from the town. So, you know, this is the reason she wasn't helping Mr. Banerjee and she wasn't giving lessons to Leo. And I'm not entirely sure why Miss Elm died in real life, but, you know, she died in that one. I feel like it was more like the realization that she didn't get there. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Like, maybe it just kind of hit her like, wow, I need to go see Miss Elm, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think that the biggest reason she didn't stay in that life, and I think a big reason that she was pulled from most of the lives that she was in is because that she felt that it wasn't really her there, right? She hadn't put in the effort and the time to have the successes that she was experiencing. She just kind of jumped into it midway through. And then she started to feel guilty about the fact that she had taken over and the person who had really worked for it was now somewhere buried in her subconscious and not living not not experiencing the fruits of their labor especially with the ash life Um, that's the one that she really deserved talking about what key realizations made her realize she wanted to go back to her original life yeah we kind of touched on that with the last question but i do want to make a point of saying that and and we've talked about it but miss mrs elm says never underestimate the big importance of small things so it's nora starting to realize that like the little things that she's doing really does have an impact. Like we said, um, Leo didn't end up in jail. Mr. Banerjee was able to stay in his home just from small things that Nora was doing. And and things that she didn't really see as being important obviously were very important. Yeah. And I think that that can be humbling for all of us too, right? If we just keep proceeding in our lives, trying to be kind to other people, extend grace, doing that can have a big impact on people around us and we won't even realize it. It seems cliche to say that like you never really know what someone else is going through, but it really does make a big difference. So now that we're kind of, we're kind of at the end of the book. I mean, you know what life I totally forgot about? Which one? That one where she was a vet tech or something, right? Oh my gosh, I, totally I forgot, forgot about, about that, that one life. too. And she was, like, dating that other vet tech and, and like, they had a had bunch a dog. of dogs. Yeah. Yes. I totally forgot about that life, and I was just thinking about it because I'm pretty sure she ran into him or something in the Ash life. Yeah. Like, saw him walking the dog, and, like, he still had the dog. <laughs> it I was know. weird. Anyway, once Nora leaves the Ash life that I've been, which is what I've been calling it, like I said, the library is falling apart. The books are on fire. The electricity is haywire. And the Miss Elm in this library tells her that there is one book that is not on fire and tells her where to find it. Uh, that book ends up being her way back to her root life, right? So she kind of wakes up vomiting, basically, because she had attempted to overdose on some pills, um, stumbles down the stairs, and Mr. Banerjee uh, 
calls an ambulance for her, of course. So now that she's back in her root life and, you know, her brother is there with her in the hospital, how do you think things are going to be different? What What do you think is going to happen next for Nora? I think obviously we, we touched upon it, but that she does need to address and work on her mental health. Yes, she needs therapy. Yes, but now she has this instilled idea that there's possibility and potential and hope. And, you know, having those feelings will hopefully afford her the ability to seek the help that she needs and open up communication with the people in her lives, like her her best friend that lives in Australia, her brother. Hopefully she can just communicate and talk with the important people in her lives and just keep working on making herself better. And maybe, just maybe... By doing that, it'll get her back with Ash so she can have <laughs> that a, a different version, but, a, you know, potentially a beautiful love story. Yeah, I mentioned uh, first time we recorded this that I kind of wrote the synopsis for a uh, sequel for this novel. So uh, Matt Haig, if you're listening, uh, best get on that. And it better be exactly how I am about to present because otherwise I would be very upset. Um, so I'm hoping that Nora goes and asks Ash out, right? Of course, you want her to be, like, mentally healthy before she goes and asks Ash out. Uh, I just think that the family thing that they had going in that last life was just super cute and wholesome, and it's just, like, it's really what she needs in her life. It's what anyone needs in their life. I think that she's going to uh, write a philosophical book. She was a philosophy student in college, or I guess, in university, as they call it over in the UK. So I think she's going to write a novel about this, about her time in the Midnight Library, but of course put this philosophical basis to it so that people don't think that she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And then, of course, with her brother being there, I really hope that they'll be able to repair their relationship in some manner and really get back to that sense of sibling sense, siblingness, siblingship, however you would say that. I like that siblingship. Siblingship. Like that. But yeah, I think it just now has created a foundation for her to move forward in a healthy way and then, you know, see where, where it can take her, but hopefully for, for positive things. Yes, hopefully toward Ash and a child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are some takeaways from Nora's journey? I think we've touched upon it throughout this, but it's yeah. A, get your mental health in order. Yeah. B keep your mind open maybe to possibilities. Yes, yes. And I think um, recognizing that it's never too late to change something that you're unhappy with. Yeah, and the the small things do matter, right? I mean, we can Mm -hmm. throw, like you said, all the cliches in there, right? Like, don't sweat the small stuff, which is fine. (laughs) But, you know, just if you take the steps each day to try to be the best version of yourself, I think that's all we can really do. So, Kayla, here's, here's the question that we both dislike. In your opinion, what's truly fulfilling in life? Yeah, so I cheated again. I didn't really answer it, um, right? Because fulfillment means something different to everyone. And for me personally, it's just like how I mentioned before, just try to do your best that day, right? Right. Big picture, I think it'll all come together, but I'm just trying to be kind and compassionate and just... Yeah, that, that's, that's my answer. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, it's definitely different for every person and can even change for a single person from day to day. You know, right now I feel fulfilled by my job. You know, I feel 
fulfilled by the people in my life and having pets and lots of cat cuddles at night. Uh, but you know, that, that could change any day. I could get a bad review from a student and then hate my job, you know? It's fine. I'll just email you a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Kayla will, she'll have my back. So here, here's the tricky question, which I feel like you have it worked out. Like, like, you know, we know that Nora's in between place was a library, right? And all of the books represented her lives. And then Hugo was another character that we know was kind of this timeline jumper, whatever we want to call it. And his place was an old school video store with VHSs that represented lives, right? What do you think your place between life and death would look like? Yeah, so obviously like a library makes a lot of sense. I mean, both you and I are, um, I'm, I read, you're an avid reader. Yes, Um, I do read. So a library would work for us. But I was thinking about it, and I think for me, uh, an art museum, but specifically set up with pictures and photos, would fit for me. Not that I'm a photographer by any means, besides the 3,000 pictures of my daughter on my camera. Um, (laughs) But pictures mean a lot to me in my house. I try to change them out with the ones that are important to me. So I envision, you know, a a hallway, a gallery where it's picture after picture after picture, and maybe I could just walk up to a little snapshot of what that life could be, and I walk through it, and then we see where that alternate life takes me. Yeah, you do have, like, a designated area in your home where you just have a bunch of pictures in your living room, so I do. (laughs) Um, I had an easy time thinking of the place, but I've had a hard time thinking of what would represent my life or my lives. Uh, I think my place will be Disney World. I just really love Disney World and a lot of significant things in my life are kind of like centered around Disney World. Um, Also, uh, if you haven't seen Encanto yet, that is a great movie. Um, Anyway, I don't know what my lives would be. I was thinking maybe rides, but then like I wouldn't actually get to ride the rides or then maybe like snacks, but then I wouldn't actually get to enjoy the snacks. So yeah. yeah, I have a hard time thinking of something at Disney World that I wouldn't want to actually experience that I could just <laughs> represent my life. Well, you know what, though? That's okay, because if you come back to your root life, you can just go to Disney. Maybe exhibits. You know, I don't really love the exhibit stuff at Disney, so maybe the exhibits could be my lives. Would be how you would work through it, yeah. And I mean, I think we talked about it, you know, that... Nora picked Miss Elm in the library because it was a place for escape. I think that Disney is a great fit because, A, it's a place you enjoy, but also a place, you know, to escape and have fun and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it could work as your Forget about unquote, everything in my library. life that are my responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Run away to Disney. We're never going back. Yes, I wish. Uh, actually, uh, my boyfriend and I have talked about moving to Florida at one point so that we could just go to Disney World whenever we wanted to. Just go work at Disney. (laughs) It depends on where my job takes me, really. So I do want to mention really quickly, we'd love to hear from some of our listeners what you think your in-between place might look like and what your lives may be. We do have an Instagram. You can find us at our home libraries. It's plural because there are two of us. Under the post for this episode of the podcast, go ahead and comment. Let us know what you think your in-between place would be. We'd love to know. Other than that, we really just have two more things we want to do first. We've got to rate the book, okay? We're not doing anything like stars. That's boring, okay? We've decided to invent our own rating system. So get ready for this. Kayla, what would you rate this book? 
I'm gonna do two ratings because I realized that you rated it differently than me and now it's made me rethink it. But I decided to use, instead of stars, chess boards because that was a recurrent theme with Nora and Miss Elm. Initially, I gave it a nine and a half chess boards out of 10 being because I just really enjoyed reading it. But then we were talking about longevity and, you know, would I reread this every year? No. So thinking of it that way, I will give it a 7.2 out of 10. I decided to rate this book 7 out of 10 alternate lives. <laughs> Largely because, like you said, Kayla, I don't really see myself picking this up very often. Um, you know, if I were going to rate something 10, it would have to be something that's like staple in my life. Like I would want to read it once a year. You know what I mean? Maybe even more than once a year. Like Harry Potter was for me when I was in like high school, right? I read that all the time. That's all I read. But this book, you know, it didn't seem at all to be revolutionary to me in any sense, but I do think that it is a good read. Um, and if you've contemplated picking it up, you definitely should. It's a fast read. It was really easy to get through. Uh, so I, I do think that if it's been on your radar, you would enjoy it. But like I said, it's just not really groundbreaking, in my opinion. But enjoyable. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 100%. It is enjoyable. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in on this one. Um, moving forward, we do have a couple other books on the horizon for us. So jot them down if there's maybe ones you might want to look at. Or if you think of any good books out there that you liked send them our way. We're always interested in hearing new titles. If you're interested in reading along with us, you can read it before we publish and then you can join in on the discussion, I guess. Absolutely. In your own mind. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the books that we're thinking about, Carrie? Um, I would really like to include Circe by Madeline Miller. That's one on my radar. I like the feminist themes in that. Uh, I like that it kind of ties into the Odyssey, which is obviously a classic. And I'm also really interested in rereading. Kayla has not read this, but I did give it to her for Christmas. Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which is... cannot remember who that is by at this precise moment, and I don't know where I put it. Uh, mine's on my end table. I'm sorry. Well... When we read it, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we have the yeah, author's we'll, name. Yeah, we'll make sure we do the author when we do the podcast episode. What are you thinking, Kayla? What do you want to read? The other one I was thinking, a little bit spooky, I also have already read it, but I want Carrie to read it, is uh, maybe for the month of October, potentially, for Halloween, but it's called The Vanishing by Wendy Webb, and who knows what other books will tickle our fancy. Yes, plenty. By this point, we have a list of 20, and we had to narrow it down for you guys. Because otherwise, yes. we would sit here for an hour listing off all the books that we want to read. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Please interact with us on our social media page. Give us any suggestions, what you thought of the book, just anything and everything. We look forward to speaking with you guys in the next episode. All right. Bye. Bye.